Hello and welcome back to Talk and Chop. This is a new episode of Talk and Chop, the official podcast of the FSU and Florida Flambeau, FSU's official student newspaper. As always, I'm Logan Grutchfield, the senior sports writer for the FSU, and today I'm joined by Chase Nevitt, our deputy editor, uh, on a special Black Friday episode. Uh, Chase, how you doing? Doing well, Logan. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And uh, a lot of drama this week, uh, especially with the, you know, we did an episode last week about an FSU Clemson game preview, and I was on with uh, Jake Mossing, and we were just exhausted. We were like, how can we preview this? You know, this game is just going to be a disaster. And lo and behold, there's no game. We get an FSU alert at about 9.15 that the game has been canceled. But the media circus that just came out of that game was unbelievable. We've got Dabo Swinney uh, out of Clemson, the Clemson head coach, who is accusing Florida State of uh, ducking the matchup, you know, just using COVID as an excuse. Um, obviously, you've then got Florida State disagreeing with that. You have Mike Norvell coming out. And he's saying coaches aren't doctors. And then you have Dabo kind of doubling down on that. Um, and obviously a lot of different narratives at play, you know, um, different priorities for both teams. Obviously Clemson wants to get kind of a tune-up game. And uh, again, you hate to say that now Florida State has just kind of turned into a tune-up school for some of these, play- for some of these programs. But um, Chase, what do you make of all of that? Uh, honestly, I think it was one of the better outcomes that could have happened for FSU on Saturday. <laughs> um, even though it might seem bad at the time that FSU could potentially be backing out of a big game against Clemson, I think amongst the national media, it's really been Dabo Sweeney and the Clemson Tigers taking a beating. And Mike Norvell has come out looking pretty strong and FSU looks pretty strong um, with their decision-making for the first time in a while amongst the national media. So I think it was a good thing, um, even though it was a little bit dicey there on Saturday morning leading up to the game. (laughs) I think you're absolutely right. And um, yeah, Florida state has definitely, you know, Clemson, I'm sure would have won that game had it been played, but I, I mean, you're completely right. Florida state definitely, you know, won that one in the, uh, at least in the court of public opinion. Now um, it kind of seems like as you know, and also Dabo hasn't been as vocal about it as he was in the immediate aftermath of the game, but it did seem like, you know, as he kind of started to double down more on this, okay, Florida state, you know, was just ducking the game. I remember immediately on Saturday, I saw a lot of people on Twitter, kind of more national media people that seem to, you know, want to, you know, carry water for Dabo on that one. But then as the, the, you know, scale of now the official line from Clemson is that they traveled to Tallahassee, the offensive lineman who later tested positive, test positive after they got to Tallahassee and then supposedly isolated once they got there. And from what I had read, he had had like flu, not flu-like symptoms, but just kind of like a common cold, you know, congestion and and sneezing after he'd gone home the previous week. And then, um, so they tested him. He came back negative earlier in the week, but then had been practicing with the whole team. So if I'm Florida State, I can understand the, the hesitancy around not wanting to you know, especially with an offensive lineman, you're right in the face of, you know, D linemen and the other guys on the line. You know, this is potentially incubating among the entire Clemson team. You've also got Trevor Lawrence, who's just coming back from who was originally supposed to come back uh, after missing two weeks for uh, COVID earlier this season. So I can understand the hesitation for Florida State. But as the week went on, you know, Sunday becomes Monday becomes Tuesday it kind of seemed like a lot more of these people wanted to peel off, especially you had the uh, ACC commissioner come out and he didn't take a shot at Dabo directly, but he was saying, you know, we need to listen to what medical personnel have to say, you know, kind of taking a little bit of a veiled jab, I thought at Dabo and yeah, definitely in the national media, it seemed to 
have more and more people kind of go over to the Florida State side of things. Now, I have a friend that goes to Clemson, and I was talking to her about her her analysis of this, you know, entire situation. She's a big Clemson fan. Um, obviously, she's been kind of living the dream there the last few seasons. But um, so I asked her, and I said, "What what do you make of all of this?" And she made the point that this might just be kind of a calculated effort by Davo to get his players fired up for the rest of the season. Now, do you think there's any legitimacy to that chase or, or do you think it's just Davo being Davo? Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, I think it could be a mix of both. Uh, certainly it puts a little bit more pressure on Clemson to perform in the next couple games to finish out strong and really put a stamp on the season for the college football playoff committee members. Um, but yeah, I thought it was interesting how, you know, originally I think on that Monday, Monday morning presser that Dabo had, he claimed that FSU had played Pitt after Pitt came down and had a uh, positive a coronavirus positive player uh, travel down to Tallahassee and FSU still played them. Uh, he claimed that that happened, but then, you know, later it came out that that player who had tested positive actually stayed in Pittsburgh and he had never traveled down. And you didn't see any form of apology or a recanting of sorts from Dabo on his end. So I think that's just, you know, Dabo playing little old Clemson, uh, playing the victim card, which seems to be a... Uh, thing that happens quite a lot with Clemson, even though you'd expect them to kind of fill the shoe, fill the shoes of like an Alabama or a uh, Oklahoma. So I just, you know, I question a lot of his judgment and I question, you know, really if anyone at Clemson has, you know, has, you know, the manhood or the womanhood to step up to Dabo and really tell him that he needs to just shut up because I think <laughs> that would have helped Clemson a lot this week. But, yeah, maybe it is just to hype up his team. I, I don't know if they need e- any more hyping up on these last two games because I don't think they're playing um, anyone very notable. I think they'll cruise into the ACC championship um, most likely. But, yeah, that's an interesting point. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, the only the only kind of, you know, evidence I could think of for that is they were coming off that loss to Notre Dame and then didn't get, you know, the opportunity against Florida State to kind of tune up their game, you know, and, and, and kind of recover. You know, now I understand that they didn't have Trevor Lawrence. They weren't exactly at 100% for that one. But, you know, for a team that has barely lost, you know, these guys have showed up and lost at most one game a year for the last three, four seasons. You know, uh, it's like how Alabama fans seem to freak out on Twitter every time, you know, Nick Saban loses a close one. Um, you know, it, it could I could see the kind of ego hit that some of the Clemson players might take. And, and I'm sure Dabo is a lot more attuned to that than, than you or I would be, you know, just because obviously he's dealing with them all the time. But I, I do agree. I, I am questioning why the AD at Clemson, who has kind of come out and been no comment, no comment, no comment, just, you know, pleading the fifth on every time the media, you know, is, is banging down his door. And then we had news that, you know, John Thrasher and the Clemson president were in agreement, but we haven't heard any statements from, the Clemson president. Now in their defense, I could see that, you know, they're like, well, we'll let Dabo just kind of run his mouth, you know, as long as he keeps delivering the championships and the title games that, you know, bring us money, you know, keep us afloat, you know, and then I know Dabo has been very outspoken. Obviously he, when there was the um, paying players debate, he was pretty firmly in the, I am not a fan of that camp. Um, and then I, I know with players kneeling for the national anthem, he had a lot to say about that as well. So he's not shy about giving his opinion. And then I'm sure that, you know, I wouldn't be surprised that there's some calculus that they have where they're going to say, okay, well, we'll just kind of, you know, grin and bear it whenever Dabo's running his mouth. But, um, you know, we're not, not especially going to be thrilled about it. 
But um, now I am thinking, could there be an opposite effect, you know, with Florida State? Obviously, they've kind of got, you know, they were taking some heat for not playing that game. But they then now there's the um, matchup with Virginia on um, Saturday night. Do you think that – how do you think this whole media firestorm will play out for the minds – or just within the brains of Florida State players? Because I could see it being good, and I could see it being bad. You know, I, I'm not sure that I can make a call either way. I, I'm – you know, and again, if it has an effect, you know, the, the kind of deficits that this team has shown on the field, I don't know that they'll come out and blow out Virginia by any means but they might play with a little fire in their belly. You know, is there anything that, you know, do you think this would have an effect either way on, on the Seminoles? I think it could potentially be a good thing. I saw a lot of players on Twitter coming out and saying that they definitely wanted to play against, against Clemson and it wasn't up to them. So I think maybe having that game against Clemson taken away from them and now coming up to Virginia against with their last home game of the year at Doe Campbell, I think they might want to kind of put a, you know, maybe a stamp on the season and finish strong in front of their home crowd. Uh, You know, I'm sure the players have wanted to play well all year, but they just, you know, for a multitude of reasons, it hasn't turned out to be the season that anyone would want um, from an FSU perspective. But overall, I'm really, you know, I think it might help them in that they had an extra you know, game to sit out and they had a maybe another bye week of sorts, even though they obviously um, practiced it for as if they were going to be playing a game against Clemson last Saturday, but not taking those hits against Clemson and losing, you know, 68 to nothing. I think that could be a good thing. And maybe, you know, who knows, maybe they'll go out there on the field on Saturday and really put, um, uh, their best foot forward and show that they could have at least uh, competed a little bit against the Tigers. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that's a great point. You know, um, I, especially with the, the last game at home and you're right, this hasn't been the season that Florida state could have hoped for at all, especially with, you know, the opt outs, the injuries, you know, the kind of continued revolving door at quarterback. And now, you know, just with the injuries and the opt-outs that James Blackman opted out, Chubba Purdy is now out for the season. Season, um, And now you're down to Jordan Travis and Tate Rodemacher. You know, this is a team that has really not gotten a lot of positive attention throughout the season. And besides the, um, the game against North Carolina, and that seemed to be, you know, I could see the motivation to maybe say, let's make sure that this isn't just a blip on the radar and that we actually can consistently play to this level. Now, the problem is they have not consistently played to that level, but if they were to turn it around at the end of the season, I could see a saga like this having a very positive effect. I think you make a good point. Now, the last thing, the last consideration that I have from this this whole circus that I think everyone would agree there was no reason for it to be as, you know, big of a, uh, situation as it was um do you think that i know florida state had said that they wanted to they're like oh we're excited to play clemson on december 12th which was the saturday after florida state would close out their season against duke um obviously clemson would be very hesitant to play that game i know that you know barring a just calamitous loss they seem to be they seem like they have a, a playoff spot locked up and I know their athletic director didn't comment publicly on that, but I would imagine that, you know, um, they'd be hesitant to play that game. And obviously notwithstanding Dabo's comments about Florida state's got to come to death Valley and and pay our travel costs. You know, I I, I think he's just kind of blowing smoke um, in that regard. Do you think a matchup could be played at all? Or do you think it'll just kind of be, you know, we'll just call it a wash on both sides. Uh, I think FSU, they might want, I mean, obviously they're in a really poor financial situation and pretty much every school is besides maybe Clemson themselves. <laughs> um, yeah. 
But from a financial perspective, FSU definitely wants to play this game. Uh, Clemson, I'd see no reason why they'd want to drive or fly all the way down to Tallahassee once again um, to play the game. One thing for sure that's not going to happen, FSU will not be paying Clemson to come down to Tallahassee to um, put a whooping on Norvell and the Knowles. Uh, and the FSU will not be going up to Death Valley. So I think, honestly, I, I'd i be surprised if this game does get played. It would be, I guess, right up there. What what week would that be? The, what, December 18th around there? Or I think 12-12 was like the plan. And that's after the regular season's over, you know. So, I mean, it would be kind of. I mean, you maybe have some oddball games. Yeah, like, uh, I can see the Army Navy game. Stuff. The Army Navy game, I think, is that weekend. Yeah, normally. you're right. And that's the only game. So it would be FSU and Clemson, sixty-three. Clemson, Clemson's up sixty-three to nothing, and then you know the midshipmen would be taking on the the Knights, the the Black Knights and Army. That would be quite an interesting Army Navy day. <laughs> Can't see. Yeah. I would see oh, that absolutely. coming. <laughs> But yeah, and I can, I, I just, I, I can't see the appetite from, well, from networks, from TV networks, I can see them saying, all right, you know, we'll air this and enough people will watch it. But, you know, I mean, that would just be, a, you know, from a fan's perspective, I would, you know, uh, well, I, I had roommates. Uh, they, I would ask them, I'm like, are you guys going to go to the game? And they're like, I would rather just get shot in the head than be there on Saturday. You know, <laughs> like, I mean, they kind of were not optimistic about the outcome and i mean it's hard to be you know i I have a hard time imagining now florida state fans are pretty devout so i'm sure you'd get plenty of people that would want to show up but i i have a hard time you know well i guess that's kind of a moot point with the capacity you know they could probably get you know sixteen thousand people in there if they were playing like a um, powerpuff football team so you know um i think that if it does happen if it doesn't you know I'm inclined to say it won't, but, um, you know, regardless, I can't imagine it being a, a, a great game. Now I do want to look ahead to, instead of having to focus on just this nonsensical stuff, um, I do want to look ahead a little bit here to Virginia. And now Virginia has been, they started out the season, you know, pretty rough. I know last year they kind of seemed to hit a um, high watermark. For their football team, they started out the season pretty rough, but their last few games, uh, they beat North Carolina 44-41, Louisville 31-17, and against Abilene Christian, an FCS school, 55-15. So their offense has been humming as of recent, um, and with a depleted Florida State defense, I am a bit worried about how that game could shake out, especially because Florida State, you know, against teams that are above their skill level, Florida State has really not been able to stop. And even against Pitt, now that was with um, Kenny Pickett back, but Florida State, you know, really hasn't been able to stop much more than the nosebleed. But, um, I mean, are there any – what matchups do you think or what – are there any players that you think uh, fans should really keep an eye on coming into this Virginia game? Well, I think Virginia's QB is – poses a quite an interesting matchup for FSU's defense. Brennan Armstrong, he's a big guy. He's a lefty uh, quarterback. You don't see many lefties out there. But I've heard that he's a bruiser, and he's not afraid to put his shoulder down and uh, run you over. So I think kind of reminds me of a Tim Tebow-esque type thing. I haven't seen much of his play, but I've heard that he's – really strong and uh, he's really been competitive in the last few games, especially against North Carolina. So I'm interested in seeing Armstrong go up against some of our guys uh, or some of Florida state's guys on defense. Um, We'll see how Janarius Robinson um, poses against him. We'll see how, you know, Decalon Brooks, see how he does there. And then also on, um, Virginia's offense, Lavelle Davis Jr. He's a freshman, and he's been a very dangerous wide receiver for Bronco Mendenhall and his staff. Uh, obviously, with any 
highly touted wide receiver where FSC is going to have Sane Samuel Jr. going up against him. So mm-hmm. we'll see how at Fuller and Samuel go up against Davis Jr. You know, that's a freshman on what? What is Samuel? A uh, junior? Uh, junior, yeah, I think. Yeah. Junior. So, you know, you'd expect Asante Samuel to have a pretty good game against Davis, but. You know, I think that's one matchup you can look out for. And, you know, who knows what's going to happen. I think FSU has something to prove. And I'm sure they really want to finish strong on this season. You know, they didn't have a great game against Pittsburgh two weeks ago. And, I mean, honestly, it was very embarrassing for the program. So I think you want to see FSU come out, you know, kind of push the tempo in the first half and really get in Virginia's face. And then I think, you know, who knows what's going to happen after that first drive. It seems like every FSU dr- first drive under Mike Norvell has been great. And then it just goes uh, to shreds. Goes after south that. Immediately, yeah. yeah. So we'll see. I think FSU will be up seven, nothing um, by the end of the first drive, but we'll see for sure. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing that, I am looking at, you know, you would Florida State's defense has not been playing well, but um, Virginia of all schools is the one that has the worst pass defense in the ACC. And so I think that, you know, now obviously Florida State isn't really trotting out Troy Aikman and Joe Montana here. You know, um, I think Jordan Travis, I, I think there's room for improvement, but to me, he just seems one-dimensional as a passer you know you watch him play and he he loves to hit people on the sideline he loves to kind of hit people in soft coverage or you know if somebody just gets burnt off the line you know he can hit him downfield but he does not like to throw tight passes into tight coverage down the middle of the field and so I think that especially against Pitt I mean I think it was just demonstrable you know the playbook for Travis who who I imagine will be starting is okay just have shut down corners you know almost you know have two guys lined up on their you know on Ontario Wilson I would think would get the toughest matchups because he's kind of the you know heir apparent now that Tamari and Terry is out um you know kind of lock down the guys that are are lining up on the sideline and then you know force them to throw it to a slot or to do something weird and that's where you can create issues now I could see, you know, Florida State almost saying, all right, we'll rely on, you know, the three-headed Hydra, of course, is, uh, you know, I think we said over and over here of Deshaun Corbin, LaDamian Webb, and Lawrence Toafili. But Mike Norvell and the offensive and Kenny Dillingham staff have not, they haven't seen too, they haven't wanted to rely too much on the run game. And I I can understand it. You know, it's also this offense has kind of got issues on in all areas, but I I would be pleased to see them get, you know, more and more of a share of the offense, especially as um, just Sean Corbin as of late, he seemed to be kind of the de facto starter in the beginning of the year, faded a little bit. Lawrence Toafili was really surging for a time in the middle of the season. And then, Deshaun Corbin now seems to have boxed out uh, Toa Feely and has kind of reduced uh, LaDamian Webb to a, a change of pace. And he's an effective goal line back for sure. But I think, you know, if Florida State could somehow grind out long drives, which again, they have struggled with immensely um, this season, have their offensive line hold up. Um, and I, I don't know, just, I don't know that they can offset a, uh, of Virginia offensive attack that's been resurgent against a defensive uh, depleted defense with now no Marvin Wilson and no uh, Corey Durden. So I'm not, there aren't too many matchups or, or there aren't too many ways I can think of for FSU to really exploit Virginia unless, you know, Virginia's um, offense goes totally sideways and Brennan Armstrong gets like hurt in the middle of the game. The one positive I do see with Armstrong, now you mentioned he's kind of not afraid to run for a little bit if he has to. He doesn't seem like a, 
you know, Lamar Jackson or a Malik Cunningham or, you know, a very mobile wouldn't be the first word that you describe him. Now he could run, but he's, you know, he's in between a dual threat and just a pure pocket passer. So, and I know that those kind of dual threat guys like Derek King um, and uh, Malik Cunningham that can kind of get untracked pretty quick. Even Jeff Sims, Jeff Sims isn't a, a, a dual threat guy, but he was kind of able to run, you know, and step up if he had to. Um, I don't know that Armstrong's on that level either, but um, it is the really dual threat guys that I think have got is where the FSU defense gets really, really untracked and just, you know, gasping for air. And I don't think Armstrong is as proficient as a runner to where he could really, really exploit that. But um, how well do you see um, I know Virginia's rushing attack has had a solid, uh, solid uh, few outings. Um, I mean, do you see? I, I think Amari Gaynor and Emmett Rice are going to really, really need to step up. But do you think this kind of makeshift defensive line will really have a? How do you think they'll hold up? Oh, uh, I mean, honestly, I think it'll be a pretty. A uh, good outing for UVA's team. I think <laughs> FSC's got a uh, long way to travel to actually put together a strong game against UVA. And it seems like their offense is just now catching stride and they're really starting to put things together, especially uh-huh. within the last three weeks. And if you look at UVA's schedule, their next three opponents is all three very winnable games. So if they win, you know, these last three games, they'll be sitting at seven and four, have a great opportunity for a primetime bowl. And I think from where they started the season, that is the best outcome Brocco Mendenhall and Virginia could have had, could have asked for after the first three games uh, for their season. But, you know, piggybacking off of that, you know, you mentioned how Virginia's pass rush has really uh, not been a thing for the Cavaliers, and that's certainly true. I I actually corresponded with one of Virginia's uh, student editors at the uh, Cavalier Daily, and he mentioned how their pass rush pass rush has just been so depleted. Charles Snowden the third had a broken ankle against in last week's game against Abilene Christian. And then Jawan Briggs as well. He was a sophomore nose tackle. Uh, Bronco Mendenhall's highest-rated recruit, he transferred earlier this year. So I think maybe we'll see a, you know, more – a better play – more great play from the offensive line this week. Who knows? I don't know if I've ever said great in the offensive line – uh, in the same sentence with FSU in the last two to three years. But you know what? I'm optimistic this week, and I don't know why, but I'm going to pick FSU to win uh, by six points. Really? Now, I'm usually the one that is is kind of defiantly optimistic on this podcast, and even I wasn't going to go that far. But I do think you make great points. Um, I did. Um, I know that. Yeah, the. Um, I'm sure that. Yeah, students at the Cavalier Daily are very. You know. Um, uh, you know, very aware of what's going on, the deficiencies and the strengths of this Virginia team, and it does look like on their defense. You know, they're kind of a. Uh, you could almost say the same thing about the FSU defense. Now, there's not much positive you could say. You know, it's. Um, but I, their linebacking. Uh, core seem to be like some of their better players and for FSU I think that's definitely you know been their strength this year is you have Amari Gaynor and Emmett Rice that have really just been able to I I mean this defense as a whole hasn't done too well but they're at least the competent ones it would seem like on um, the FSU defensive side of the ball and um, it looks like the same way with uh, Noah Taylor and Deshaun Perry for um, for Virginia now and we did talk earlier. I could see FSU getting a lot of motivation out of this game. It's the last game of the Norvell season. There's been some highs and lows. But, you know, I think for kind of the youth movement that seems to be budding here for Nor- Norvell, 
Um, I can see this as like, all right, you know, let's kind of give it all we've got, you know, and really lay it on the line here. But um, so I think this is a great time to go to score predictions. And I'm going to be honest here. So the line for Virginia, Florida State, let me see here what it is. It's like plus nine and a half, I think. Plus nine and a half. You're absolutely right. Um, I am going to say Virginia 31, FSU 21. Now, what what are you thinking here, Chase? Are you are you still going to go with FSU by six? Yep, I'm going to go for FSU to win 37 to 31. <laughs> wow. So, all right, we're both locked in on that 31 number. And the more I think about it, I, I think it might – you know, I could see either one of these defenses kind of, you know, just go totally going sideways in this game. And potentially now, if I was a bet man, I would say that about Florida State's defense, which gave up 41 points to Pitt. But um, yeah, yeah. If I if I was a betting man, I would not be betting FSU money line. I, I think I'm making this pick off of pure. Um, just I'm just in the moment here on the podcast, and I'm not sure I'd be saying this um, to my family at the dinner table when we're, when we're just uh, bantering on about how bad FSU football is. So. Wow. I did not realize it is cutthroat at the Nevitt uh, Thanksgiving dinner table. <laughs> you know, so was that like, you know, other families have arguments about politics or whatever, you know, when the crazy uncle shows up and are you, so are you like the black sheep of the family now? Um you know, with your your FSU optimism here, Chase? Yeah, I guess I am. Um, my, my dad certainly is not optimistic in regard to FSU football uh, at all. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I can't blame him. You know, he's a, he's a realist, you know. So now I do want to turn to, and I know, Chase, this is your kind of topic of the day here. I do want to turn to basketball. And I know for basketball, um, now ordinarily today, I believe it's today we would be watching, excuse me, Florida State uh, tip off their season against Gardner-Webb. Now, Gardner-Webb, of all schools, was having um, issues with COVID-19. I believe they are supposed to play Duke earlier this week, and that game was canceled. And now Florida State, as a result, had their matchup canceled against um, Gardner-Webb. And so on December 2nd, Next Wednesday, Florida State will start, and they'll be at Dote Campbell for um, to open their season against North Florida. And I know North Florida is always uh, an interesting team just because they seem to be like, you know, um, they'll just go for three no matter what, any time of day, you know, doesn't matter who it is, doesn't matter where it is, you know, the three-point option is at times option A for them. So now just – in general here, Chase, um, looking into this new season for Florida State, who do you have your eye on? On the – like a specific player? Yeah, for Florida State or just in, in general. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for Florida State, honestly, I've been talking about this guy ever since he started lighting it up after a few games last year. And I feel like not many people talk about him at all. Balsa Koprovica, man, I think he's going to have a great year. Um you know, if he's coming off the bench or if he's starting, I really do think um, he showed signs last year that he's developing a very impressive offensive skill set. And we'll see if he's going to be able to carry that over on the defensive side of the ball. He does have some work to be done. Uh, last year, he was a little bit inconsistent on the defensive end. He would get into foul trouble pretty uh, consistently or easily. And but Man, his his right hook or his floater, uh, it's pretty impressive for a big guy. I I think he's going to be the guy that might be most improved on the on FSU, and I think he's going to get a lot of attention amongst more of the national media once he really shows us all um, what he's all about this year. But uh, honestly, I think Kopovica could really take this team another step up. He's going to be, I think, Ham's, you know, honorary seven-footer of the year that we're going to trot out there. Um, And I think he's going to be competing with Malik Osborne for time. They could play 
together, but that would be, I mean, I could see that happening. It's just, um, we'll have to see what, you know, who knows, but whoever FSU has out there on the court, they're going to be the biggest team in the nation. I think they have, they were number two in the country last year, only they were second to Seton Hall and the tallest team um, in division one basketball. And I think they're, they've now reacclaimed their spot at number one. So now they are the tallest team in the country. And with Scotty Barnes starting at point guard this year, that's something I think most people have, that's kind of been something that's been leaked. I'm not sure if leaked's the right word, but most people expect Scotty Barnes, the six foot nine freshman out of West Palm Beach to be starting at point guard for FSU. So, you know, I'm really interested in seeing how Scotty Barnes will do. He certainly has all the hype in the world coming with him to FSU. He's the highest rated recruit that Hamilton has ever gotten. And, you know, he's projected to go in the top 10 of next year's NBA draft. Um I think it'd be really interesting to see how Barnes does. You know, it might be kind of like a Ben Simmons type deal where he's not really taking too many shots from beyond the arc. But, you know, it's going to be crazy with a lineup of Scotty Barnes at guard and then you're going to have Raekwon Gray at the four or the three. And then, you know, Paulite really showed some signs last year of him stepping up, being able to shoot. Um, he really impressed me last year, and I think he's going to have to take on a bigger, bigger role if FSU really wants to, you know, stay consistent and stay at the level they were at last year. Obviously, with the losses of, you know, Forrest, Devin Vassell, um, Patrick Williams, there's a lot of points that need to be accounted for and made up for this year. And, you know, who knows if Polite's going to be able to step up, but I do have a good feeling about this year's team and there's just a lot of options that Hamilton has to go to. Uh, I think there's, I I'm really optimistic about the year. Um, and you know, another guy I'm looking out for MJ Walker, he had a much better mm-hmm. year last year. Um, really was a lot more consistent, had a few really impressive games. I think he scored in the twenties multiple times last year and, Obviously, with the loss of force, he's really going to have to step up. And, you know, I think he's a senior. He's a senior this year. He could come back again next year even. So he could be like a fifth-year senior playing all five years at FSU. That would be quite uh, the storyline if he <laughs> ends up doing that. But I'm really optimistic about the year, and I really, I'm really just excited about this program. Uh, it's something I can't say for football so I'm just really really happy it's basketball season and I'm interested to see how Hamilton takes these boys on this year oh I completely agree I think especially after last year you know you've got these guys that are returning I talked to uh Raekwon Gray um earlier uh before Thanksgiving and there definitely seemed to be I don't want to say, you know, that they're upset, you know, but there definitely seem to be, you know, the lingering feeling that Florida State, you know, I think the ACC championship would have been locked up. Uh, I think they definitely had the feeling that Florida State could go very far um, in the NCAA tournament now had it happened. Um, And I I completely agree with you. I think, obviously, a lot of big shoes to fill um, with no Patrick Williams, with no Devin Vassell. Um, and no Trent Forrest, but um, I think especially our, the younger guys coming in, Scotty Barnes has garnered a lot of the hype. Sardar Calhoun, I have seen some of his um, footage from him playing. He played at uh, Missouri University West Plains, and he is looking like a monster. You know, So I could see him get involved. I'm excited to see just what kind of personnel get deployed against North Florida and just to see how they do. You know, especially I would think that for FSU, they could kind of take that game as a, all right, let's kind of fine tune some of the, you know, points in the um, different attacks and or the different game plans that Hamil- uh, Coach Ham and his staff will have 
especially going into that game against Indiana. I am so excited for that. I am making every plan that I can be, um, that I can have to be there for that. Because I just remember that game last year, it was a five-point game with, what, four and a half minutes left. And then Indiana just was making, it seemed like, every single shot that they could make and stealing on almost every single FSU possession. So I know that is going to be the game that I think everybody on that team is going to have their, um, you know, they're going to be circling that on their, um, on their schedule. But um, no, I think the optimism is just, it runs through everybody, you know, and I'm excited to see, you know, last year, I mean, you talked about Balsakovica. Um, I think Wyatt Wilkes as well was a player that really just kind of started to find the new component of his game as the season went on. I remember, especially getting into ACC play, I was almost surprised to see some of, you know, the scoring lines that he'd be putting up. Um, so I'm excited to see just, you know, how everybody develops this year as well. Um, I think that, you know, and I think also Florida State got pretty lucky. They don't have to play Virginia twice in that schedule. Um, I know they have North Carolina twice. And I know that'll be interesting to see how North Carolina does after last year. I know just, you know, it seemed like they kind of dropped the ball colossally. So, um, um, and I know, you know, so I, I'm just, I think there's a ton to be excited about for just everybody surrounding the program. For sure. For sure. I think, um, on North Carolina's side, just a quick point, just from one game of watching them play college of Charleston, I think they are improved from last year, but I don't really know if they're a top 10 team. I really, uh, they weren't that impressive against CFC. Um, I think, honestly, I think, what was it, that FSU was projected to be fourth in the ACC this year? I think we'll see how they play, obviously, in these first couple games. But I think they could have been slotted ahead of UNC and but been placed at the third slot there. Yeah, and I'm looking at their schedule, too. Um And, you know, so they have, they play UNLV on Monday and then they get number five, Iowa, the Tuesday after that. So I will be, um, and Iowa, I don't know a ton about Iowa, but I think that could be a game to kind of monitor how UNC is looking coming out of last year, just, you know, rough year for Roy Williams and everybody, you know, if they get their lunch just totally eaten by the Hawkeyes, um, then that might be something to worry about. But again, it is early in the season. You know, they haven't fully, you know, I mean, that's just their third game and they're having a week between games. So it's not as telling as say a blowout loss to, you know, Virginia tech or something might be, but um, th- there is definitely, I think that might be something to watch. I will definitely be watching that game, um, especially the day before Florida state, Indiana. And that'll be a fun game. Florida State gets Florida after that. And um, I know Florida is still, I mean, even without Kerry Blackshear, they've got um, some pretty interesting guys coming for them. But I think still I'm hoping that Leonard Hamilton will be uh, Mike White's daddy once again this season. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think um, I'm pretty sure they're, one of their guards, Andrew Nimard, he ended up transferring to Gonzaga this year. And – I don't know if you saw Gonzaga yesterday and today, but they look the part and they, without question, they're going to be the number one team probably all year. (laughs) Cause I, I, I doubt they even lose a game. um, Now that they've gotten through Kansas and um, who they play today, Auburn, they beat Auburn by probably, I'm guessing over 20 points. Cause when I was watching, they were up by 15, but um Gonzaga's got Andrew Nimard now coming off the bench. He was starting at UF. Now he's playing on the bench. But, man, Gonzaga looks like a scary team. And for Florida, um, I'd look out for Scotty Lewis. He's going to be a sophomore, true sophomore this year. He showed some signs as a freshman that he's going to develop into a really impressive player for Mike White. Uh, besides that, though. Keontae Johnson. What was that? I think Keontae Johnson, the the forward coming back for them. I've heard, I mean, some of the draft hype that I've seen, some people think he might go top 10. I don't know about that. 
but I know he's um he's looking like a great um he was uh uh the best scorer for them last year. I'd definitely be keeping an eye on him. Um and but then also he had kind of um well he had Kerry Blackshear um right there with him to kind of um you know make a kind of two headed offensive attack. So it'll be interesting to see who steps up. I didn't I didn't mean to cut you off there, but I was just like, you know, he came to my mind and I almost just shouted it right out. Yep, yep. So for sure, yeah. I don't know too much about Florida squad, but I I watched um two years ago I watched Scotty Lewis, the uh sophomore for Florida that I just talked about. I watched Scotty Lewis go up against uh West Charlotte in Raleigh, North Carolina. And funny thing is, guess who was on West Charlotte? Patrick Williams. So two years ago I was watching uh those two go at it in at Broughton High School in Raleigh and back then I think Williams was ranked as what, like the thirty something overall recruit in the nation and now he's gone top five in the draft. So it's pretty crazy to see how fast he developed and it's really just a testament to Leonard Hamilton putting these guys in the best position to succeed. So that's really why I'm just happy that FSU basketball is back and it seems like FSU basketball is here to stay. Yeah, I'm definitely, I think they're still maybe slightly underrated by the media. Now I might be a little bit biased when I say that. I know their preseason ranking. I was like, huh, you know, seems a little, you know, I don't know that I would have ranked them at that spot, but, you know, I'm not going to complain if, you know, they catch the nation by surprise this year. So, um, yeah, I think that UF game, Florida State's definitely got a great fall schedule um, lined up against them. And, yeah, to your point about Patrick Williams, I forget Leonard Hamilton was talking a few days ago just about the, um, you know, the schools that he beat out for, gosh, um, I want to say that it was Devin Vassell, you know, these guys that um, ended up coming to Florida State. And it was not a, you know, laundry list of blue chip schools. I mean, he was beaten out like um, Presbyterian, I think. Gosh, let me pull up these uh, these comments here that he made. And um, I, I it was like Presbyterian, like kind of lower end Division One schools. So, yeah, no, it's absolutely a testament to just him and the, the eye that he has for really getting these kind of diamonds in the rough, you know, or and just being able to coach them to a, a, um, that level of production. And especially with his kind of, I think, you know, game plan where he's, you know, using every card in the deck as opposed to a lot of schools where it's like, all right, you know, we've got five guys on the court and, you know, we're maybe going to rotate in a few, but, you know, not, nearly as reliant on the bench as he has been I think that also gives these guys a little bit more you know room to grow and develop than they might at a program where they're just kind of thrust into a role if somebody goes down or gets hurt or whatever for sure yep yep I love I really enjoy watching Hamilton's brand of basketball I mean just seeing you know a fresh five group of guys coming in off the bench is something really pleasing as some as a you know as a member of the media and as a fan it's just very fun to watch it's you know I think Brad Calipari at Kentucky did it for one year he had you know his first group out there and then he would sub in a whole second group and I remember at the time the national media was just going berserk at how Calipari was able to do this but you know he stopped doing that, I think, after that year. And I think he only did that for, like, the first 10 games, and then he ended up finding maybe, like, eight guys that he would actually play. So, but it's just interesting how it seems like Hamilton, he starts out with, you know, maybe eight guys that he plays. He'll he'll play all 10 guys, but as the year goes on, he'll find – guys and actually give them more playing time as the year goes on. For example, you know, you said Wyatt Wilkes. At the beginning of the year, you know, he was playing maybe three to five minutes a game. And then once ACC play started, he started to play a lot more and he played really well. And you mentioned that. And I think that's just something that's interesting that Hamilton does. And it seems like 
that never really happens with any other team, you know. These players don't really just come out of nowhere and start really putting up minutes while giving a bunch of other players on the team minutes as well. It's not like Wyatt Wilkes was taking minutes from someone else. He really um, – they were just spreading it out more amongst the team. So I think, yeah, it's – he play, they play a very interesting style of basketball, but I think it's something that, you know, it's definitely more – enjoyable to watch than you know what tony bennett does at uva but that's personal preference (laughs) yeah no i completely agree um and i think that's uh you know um it's almost at times like he's got kind of different looks for different opponents you know for schools like uh you know north florida these out of conference schools they're not obviously they want to win but they're not as hyper focused on you know a team like Florida state as they might be like, you know, Indiana's obviously got to deal with like Michigan or other schools, in the big 10, um, you know, so it's almost like kind of different looks for, you know, different settings, which I think is something else. But um, I don't know about you, Chase. I know you've always got a lot to say about basketball. Always got some pretty good analysis. Um, I think I've run through everything that I came on here to talk about. Any final thoughts from you? Oh, just final thought. I hope everyone has had a good Thanksgiving week. And as we finish out this year strong, I hope everyone stays safe. And thank you uh, for having me on, Logan. I really appreciate your time. Absolutely. And again, um, Chase Nevitt, uh, Deputy Editor at the FSU and Florida Flambeau Sports Section. Um, This is the man behind the uh, uh, analysis from the opposition. So Chase goes behind enemy lines and gets uh, cutting edge football analysis um, undercover from student reporters at whatever FSU's opponent schools are. Now, um, you know, it, it clearly hasn't had much effect on the football field, but Chase put through some great journalism this year. You can find our work in the FSU and Florida Flambeau um, in print starting on Monday every week and then always online. So again, Chase, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. All right.